My name is Andy. Welcome. Glad that you're here to worship with us today. Uh, <clears throat> we are going to continue our sermon series on the names of God. Hallowed be thy name. Before we jump in, uh, let me just say this past week we kicked off gospel communities. I hope that everybody was able to connect in one. And if you didn't get to or, or whatever, we'll, we'll do those again in October. First week of October, we'll have gospel communities. And I would encourage you uh, to, to ask me or somebody about that um, if you want more information. Also, in about a month from now, uh, we are going to have an, a fall fest and that is going to be hosted and produced by the student ministry, the youth group. Um, so we're excited to let the teenagers uh, con- collaborate and contribute and throw a party for the rest of the church in October. Um, and so we'll get more information out as it gets a little closer, but it's about a month from now. I think it's on a Saturday. Um, so let me, um, <clears throat> let me let me set up our... We're in a series, Hallowed Be Thy Name. We're looking at some of the Old Testament names of God. And let me share with you uh, a book that really impacted my life uh, when I was in my early 20s and trying to figure out what should I do with my life? What, what should, what's God want me to do? What do I want to do? How do I bring these together? Um, I had been in college for four years, three different majors. So I wasn't making much progress, but I was spending a lot of money Um, because I couldn't figure out what to do with my life. Uh, And my pastor gave me this little book called The Dream Giver by Bruce Wilkinson. And it's a funny little story. Um, It's not very long, but it's an allegory. And so it's about a man named Ordinary who lives in the town of Familiar. And he has a big dream to find the land of promise. Um, And so... uh, one day he hears from God, who is the dream giver, uh, who speaks through a still small voice in his heart and says, I want you to leave familiar and pursue your big dream. So ordinary gets up the courage to leave the, the town of familiar and he goes on an adventure to pursue this dream that the dream giver gave him. And all along the way, the dream giver is with him, speaking through the still small voice, encouraging him, strengthening him. He faces bullies and scoffers and giants. He has to go through forests and mountains and jungles and over all these obstacles and challenges. And at the end of his journey, he gets to the wasteland, this vast desert And he goes into the wasteland knowing that the dream giver is going to be with him the whole time. Only he doesn't hear the dream giver's voice. He doesn't know if the dream giver is there. And he doesn't know if he's going to make it through the desert. But he finally does. And on the other side of the desert, there's the dream giver. And he says, yeah, I was with you the whole time, even though you couldn't see me. And he says, but I need you to give up your dream. I need you to give your dream back to me. And ordinary is facing a really difficult decision. This is the dream that the dream giver, God, gave him. And he's gone on this whole journey and had all these challenges and overcome all these obstacles so that he could be here. And now the dream giver says, no, I want you to give it up. Well, ordinary uh, has to decide, what do I love most, my dream or do I trust the dream giver? He chooses to trust the dream giver. He gives up his dream. And then God takes him on this other path to the land of promise and gives him his dream back. Only it's better and more beautiful than he could have ever imagined. And what ordinary learns through the story is the real gift isn't the dream, but the dream giver himself. 
So this was a really um, poignant story for me at that stage in my life because I was trying to figure out what I should do with my life. And, and God used that story to um, speak to me and, and call me into vocational ministry um, as a pastor, as a worship pastor. But I like that story, and it goes well with today's passage because it's the same story that we see in Genesis chapter 22, which is the story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac. Um, And so we're going to see that story, and the reason we're looking at that story is because that's also the chapter where one of God's names first appears, and that is the name Yahweh Yireh. Can you say that? Yahweh Yireh. Yahweh Yireh. Say it with me. Yahweh Yireh. Um, In 17th century English, as we see in the King James Version of the Bible, it's pronounced Jehovah Jireh. But the Hebrew pronunciation is Yahweh Yireh. It's traditionally translated as the Lord will provide or I am provider. Now, let me just give you a little um, Bible trivia facts about Hebrew and God's name. And I'm a nerd, so all the nerds unite. Um, the name of God in the Bible is Yahweh. It's in, I've written it out in English there on the top. And next, underneath that is the Hebrew writing. Uh, English is a language that's written from left to right. Written Hebrew is written from right to left. So on the Hebrew letters there, the little apostrophe that looks to us like it's at the end of the word is actually the first letter. That's the Hebrew letter yod, and it makes the Y sound, yah. The next letter is he, which makes the H sound. Then the, the little line that almost looks like a seven or something, that's the Hebrew letter vav. In modern Hebrew, it's pronounced with a V. In ancient Hebrew, it was pronounced with a W. And then it's he there at the end. So yod he vav he is how you spell God's name. Now, written out Hebrew, even modern Hebrew, does not have any consonants written. It does have, uh, or sorry, it doesn't have any vowels. It does have consonants, uh, consonants has vowels in the speaking because you can't speak any words without vowels. But written la- the written Hebrew language only has consonants. And you say, well, that seems rather odd, doesn't it? Not really. We do this in English too, like with the word boulevard. If you see that uh, abbreviation BLVD, you know that's boulevard. It was the same in Hebrew. Uh, and it's the same with written Hebrew today. There are no written out vowels. So the interesting thing about that is we don't actually know for certainty which vowel sounds to add to God's name. We have the consonants, yod, he, vav, he, but we don't know the vowels. Most scholars, historians, Biblical scholars, Jewish scholars, secular historians, most people that study uh, ancient Near Eastern history and in particular Jewish history agree that the the correct pronunciation is Yahweh. But it's also possible that it could be Yi-Wei or Yehwah or even Yehowah. Well, that sounds a lot like Jehovah. Yehovah, right? So most scholars agree that it's Yahweh, but we're not 100% sure on the exact pronunciation. We'll go with Yahweh because that's the general consensus in the biblical world. Um, That's just a little Bible trivia for the nerds. Um, So we're talking today about Yahweh Hireh, 
I am provider, what does that name mean? And what are the implications for our lives today? We are going to look in Genesis chapter 22 at this story. I'm not going to read the whole story, but I would encourage you to open your Bible on your lap and follow along as we talk about the story. Here's the context. Uh, About 4,000 years ago, there's a man named Abraham. And he was older. His wife, Sarah, was older, past the age of childbearing. She couldn't get pregnant anymore. Um, And so Abraham and Sarah did not have any children. And God came to him one day and said, I'm going to give you a child. And through that child, many nations will come. And Abraham said, well, that doesn't make any sense because my wife is too old to get pregnant. It's not even possible anymore. And God said, with me, all things are possible. So Abraham believed God. Uh, A little while later, Sarah got pregnant, had a little boy named Isaac. Miracle baby. She was too old to get pregnant. So it was a miracle from God. A few years after that, the Lord comes to Abraham and he says, you know your son, your only son, Isaac, the one that you love? Yeah, I need you to go over to Moriah and there's a mountain in the land of Moriah that I want you to go up on and I want you to sacrifice your son to me. What? Other gods demanded child sacrifice, not Yahweh. Why would Yahweh demand a child sacrifice? Yahweh loves his children. Yahweh is a God of mercy. Why would he ask Abraham to do this? Furthermore, isn't this the child that Yahweh gave Abraham through a miracle? And now he wants him to give his son, his only son whom he loves, back as a burnt offering? This doesn't seem to make any sense, but Abraham trusts Yahweh. So Abraham gets up gathers all his things. He and Isaac travel to Moriah. They start going up the mountain. On the way up the mountain, Isaac says, hey, dad, I see the wood for the altar. I see you carrying a torch with fire for the sacrifice. I don't see a lamb. What are we going to sacrifice? And Abraham must be thinking, uh, how do I tell my son that we're going to sacrifice him? Instead, he says, "Uh, don't worry about it. Yahweh will provide for himself a lamb for the sacrifice. They go on up the mountain. They get to the spot. Uh, Abraham builds the altar. He ties up his son Isaac. He lays him on the altar. He raises the knife. And just as he is about to plunge the knife into his son, Yahweh calls out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Now I see that your faith is genuine. You have not withheld even your only son from me. And Abraham looks over because his eyes catch a movement in the brush. And there is a ram caught in a thicket tangled up by its horns. So he takes Isaac off the altar, cuts him loose. They go over, they kill the ram, they bring it, they sacrifice the ram instead. And then Yahweh speaks to Abraham again. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. 
God's name appears in this story because after he provides the ram and they offer the ram as a sacrifice, Abraham names that place the Lord will provide. That's verse 14. Yahweh Yireh, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So I want to pull out a few implications from this story that will help us understand the name of God, Yahweh Yireh, and how it applies to our lives today. First implication is this. God sees you and understands you. God perceives your circumstances and knows your need. The thing that I uh, find interesting, and I didn't know this until I was studied it this week, is that the, the verb yure or gyra in Old English, the Hebrew word yure does not actually mean to provide. We think Jehovah Jireh, God our provider, Yahweh Yure, I am provider, but Yure doesn't mean provide. It's not the meaning of that word. The, the word Yure is used 1,300 times in the Old Testament, and it means to see and understand. In fact, in Genesis 22, it shows up three times, and this is the only place in the entire Old Testament where Yure is translated as provide. Normally, it means to see or to understand. God sees and understands. Yahweh Yireh is the God who sees you and understands you. Why do we translate it as provide in this uh, chapter of the Bible? Well, because that's the clear implication of the story. God saw what Abraham needed and provided it. We have similar sayings in English around the idea of seeing, right? We might say God is watching over you. God is looking out for you. It doesn't just mean that God's standing back watching what you do with your life. No, God is seeing to it that you are taken care of, right? We have the same type of phrases in English. This is how it's used in this chapter. Yahweh, Yireh, God sees and understands. God is not Uh, the kind of provider who's an absentee dad working 75, 80 hours a week so that he can put food on the table and his kids are like, hey, why can you never throw the football with me in the backyard? Well, I'm working all day so I can provide. Aren't you thankful you have something to eat? God's not that kind of provider. Yahweh Yireh is the God who sees you, the God who understands you, the God who knows what you need. He understands your thoughts, the good thoughts and the bad thoughts. He understands your emotions and your feelings. He knows your motives, even the motives that you try to hide from other people. He sees every action that you take. He knows every word that you speak, even before you speak it. He knows everything that you need, even before you are aware of what you need. He sees your circumstances. He is with you in the midst of those circumstances, and he is aware of your need. He knows your challenges. He knows your obstacles. He knows your situation, and he loves you with a never-ending, unfailing, unbreaking, always and forever love. And because he sees you and understands you, he gets you, he loves you, that brings us to the second implication. He provides the right thing at just the right time. 
The God who sees you and understands you gives you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. Abraham's faith in this story is astonishing, right? Here he is walking with his son up the mountain to sacrifice him. And verse seven, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, meaning Isaac, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide, that's the verb yire, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Abraham's faith in God was astonishing. He trusted that somehow God would make a way. Somehow God would provide the right thing at just the right time. He didn't know what that was. He wasn't sure how it would work, but he knew that God would come through. And that's exactly what happened in this story. The ram that they found caught in the thicket didn't just poof, appear out of thin air. God had told Abraham to go to a certain mountain, but he didn't tell Abraham where on that mountain to go. But God saw what Abraham was going to do before Abraham did it. He knew exactly where on the mountain Abraham would stop to sacrifice Isaac, and God directed a ram to that place and caused it to get tangled up in the thicket so that before Abraham and Isaac even arrived on the scene, God had already provided for what they needed. Before they even got there, God had already taken care of it because he gave them just the right thing at just the right time. God does the same thing for us. Romans chapter five, verse six says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time in human history, God sent his son to be the lamb that was sacrificed, not for the righteous people that have it all together, for the ungodly for the powerless. We were powerless to save ourselves from sin, not just from the penalty of sin, death, but from uh, the effect of sin. I can't make myself any less selfish. I can't make myself any less greedy. I can't make myself any less lustful. I can't make myself any less self-centered. But Jesus came to save us from sin itself, to set us free, and he came at just the right time. And through his death and resurrection, he broke the power of sin so that everyone who trusts in him now is transformed by the Holy Spirit because the power of sin no longer enslaves us. God gives just the right thing at just the right time. It's not always what I want. It's not always when I want it, but it is always exactly what I need and it is always exactly when I need it. The question is, do we trust God to provide the right thing? Like Abraham did. Do we believe that God knows what's best for us better than we know what's best for, that, for ourselves? I want this thing over here, but God says no. Do I trust that God knows better than me what's good? I don't want to do this over here, but God says, do this. Do I believe that God knows what's best for me better than I know what's best for myself? I don't want to carry this pregnancy to full term. 
I don't know how I can keep this baby. I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I should end the pregnancy. God says, no. Do I trust that God knows better than me? Do I trust that God has the best in mind? God gives the right thing at the right time. God sees and understands and knows my situation. I want to live with this person I'm not married to yet. God says, that's not how marriage and relationships and human sexuality works. Do I trust that God knows what's best? Or do I want what I want and I want it now? Or am I willing to say, no, I have the faith to believe that God is right even when I can't make sense of it myself? I'm a man, but I want to be a woman. Do I trust that God gave me the right body? That God created me to be who I am and God knows what's best? Or do I think that I can change my very identity? Do I think that I should get whatever I want? Or do I trust that God gives the right thing at the right time because he sees and understands and knows what is better for me than I know for myself? That's the kind of faith that Abraham had. Do we have that kind of faith? And many of us would say, yes, we do. That's great. I'm glad that you have that kind of faith because the third implication from the story is that God brings you to moments of decision. God will allow you to be in circumstances when your faith is tested. This is exactly what happened to Abraham. Verse 2, God comes to Abraham and says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall show you. God brought Abraham to a place where Abraham had to choose between what he loved most, Isaac, and God. It's the same thing that Jesus did with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. This young man's very wealthy. He comes to Jesus. He says, teacher, tell me what I must do to receive eternal life. And Jesus says, keep all the commandments. And he says, great, I'm, I'm wonderful at keeping rules. I've done all that. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And the, uh, the gospel of Mark tells us that the rich young man went away very sad because he had great wealth. Now, was Jesus teaching that if, if we all sell all our possessions and give it to the poor, that we'll earn our way into heaven and eternal life? No. He was bringing that young man to a moment of decision where he had to choose between what he loved most, his money, and Jesus. And God brings us to those moments of decision in our lives. Do I trust the dream giver more than I love my big dream? Am I still going to follow Jesus even though my cancer isn't cured? Am I still a Christian even though the divorce was finalized and my marriage wasn't saved? Do I still believe that God is good even when my wife is still sick and hasn't been healed? Right? God brings us to these moments of decision where we have to choose whether or not we are still on board with Christ. Do I still trust him? Why does God bring us to those moments of decision? It's because of his name, Yahweh Yireh. See, it's not just that God sees us, but it's in those moments of decision that we 
see God. If you look at verse 14, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide Yahweh Yireh, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And a lot of English Bibles put in a little footnote to let you know there's another way of translating that last phrase. On the mount of the Lord, he shall be seen. See, God saw Abraham on that, in that moment of decision. God saw Abraham, but when Abraham was in his darkest moment, as the knife was coming up and he didn't know what else to do, Abraham saw God. And it is in those moments at 2 a.m. when you don't have anywhere else to turn, when you hear the C word and you don't know what you're going to do, it is in those moments that we encounter God, that we see God with us. Yahweh Yireh is not just the God who sees us. He is the God who allows us to see him in our moment of greatest need. He is the God who is there, present with us, and we find him in those moments of decision. I've told this story before, but it's been a while, uh, so I'll tell it again. Maybe some of you have forgotten it. Uh, When I was in college, I was broke. I did not have any money. Um, and there, I worked at a a restaurant. I did a lot of different jobs there, but sometimes I waited tables and the restaurant was the kind of restaurant where you didn't make good tips. Uh, it just, the way it was, you didn't make good tips. And so there was one night, uh, it was a Tuesday night and I needed $50 to pay my insurance for my car, my truck, I had a little Dodge Dakota. And if I didn't have $50, my insurance was due the next day. If I didn't have $50, I wasn't going to be able to pay my insurance bill. It was Tuesday night, and nobody comes to eat at Ponderosa on Tuesday night in Hannibal, Missouri. Like, nobody. It is the the slowest night of the week, and the tips aren't good anyway. And so you're there, and I, I, I remember sitting in the parking lot, and I prayed, and I said, God, I need $50 in tips, and there is no way that I'm going to make that on a Tuesday night. But if I don't make something, I'm not going to be able to pay my insurance, and I'm not going to be able to drive. And immediately the Lord spoke back to me and said, where's my tithe? Why would he say that? See, I didn't have any money. So whatever little bit of money I had, I wasn't tithing. I hadn't been giving. Tithe is 10%. And God said, where's my tithe? And so I, I said, okay, you got me. What I'll do, I need $50. 10% of 50 is five. So the first $5 in tips I make, I'm going to put in the left pocket of my apron. And then the rest of the tips I make, I'm going to put in the right pocket. First $5, the 10% goes in my left pocket. Uh, at the end of the night, about 10 minutes before closing, I got on my right pocket. I counted up all the tips I had, $26. And I I said, God, I thought that you were going to take care of this. I trusted you. I put the first $5 in my left pocket. And I have $26, and it's 10 minutes until closing. And I was so disappointed because God didn't show up. And about five minutes before closing, a whole party of drunk people came in. And they were rude, and they were loud, and they wanted more chicken wings, and they wanted more mashed potatoes. So we'd get out the bag, and we'd pour the the powder in, and we'd mix it up because that's mashed potatoes at Ponderosa. Uh, Anyway, 
everything's in a bag uh, with powder. But anyway, that's a whole other sermon. Um, They left me a $25 tip. So not only did I have enough money to pay my insurance, I had a dollar left over to buy a soda. Because in that day, a soda was a dollar. God provided in those moments of decision, God showed up. And I encountered God. I saw him in a way that I had never seen him before. God brings us to those moments of decision where our faith is tested because Yahweh Yireh is not just the God who sees us, but he is the God who is seen by us in the darkest hour of the night. The last implication is this. God will use your faith and obedience to bless people in ways that you don't even know. When you trust and obey God, your life becomes a conduit through which his blessings flow into the lives of others in ways that we can't even ask or imagine, right? Look again at at this promise that God gave to Abraham. The angel of the Lord, verse 15, called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I don't think that Abraham had any inkling of an idea that 4,000 years after that night, people on the other side of the planet would be sitting in a town called Stoughton, remembering this story and talking about what it means to trust Yahweh Yireh. There is no way that Abraham could have imagined that. And I don't know if you catch that, but we are here. We are part of God's family. We have a place at God's table. We have a room in God's house. We have eternal life because 4,000 years ago, some random Middle Eastern man was obedient to God. That's amazing that we get to receive this promised blessing that God gave to Abraham, not because of our obedience, but because of his. God will use your faith and your obedience when you trust him, even in the dark moments, when you trust him in those moments of decision, God uses that to bless other people in ways that you can't even begin to imagine because we serve Yahweh Yireh. How will God use your faith and obedience? He will because he's good. I don't want us just to talk about God's name. I also want us to practice God's name. And so I'm going to invite Jim uh, back up to pray for the mission trip and pray for Yahweh Yireh to provide for the mission trip. Jim's one of our overseers, so let's join him for prayer. Heavenly Father, We thank you that you are Yahweh Yireh, that you are the God who understands, that you see each of us, you understand, and you provide. And Lord, we thank you that you have seen and you have understood and you have provided for orphans and widows in Tanzania, Africa, Lord, and that through Name of Village, you have provided a refuge, a place where they can live safely where they can 
be loved, where they can learn about you. And Lord, we just uh, thank you that your provision has not only been on the babies and the orphans, but you have also, Lord, uh, grown this ministry to a place where mothers can learn skills so that they can provide for their families. And that mothers with handicapped children can drop their kids off at a daycare, a handicapped daycare, and be able to go to work. And a place where birthing assistants in Maasai villages in the bush can learn how to save mothers and babies so there will be less orphans. And Lord, without your hand on all of this, it would be impossible. But with you, all things are possible. And we thank you, Lord, for providing for the resources and the volunteers from around the world that come there to serve you. And we also thank you, Lord, for our team and each one of them, Lord, that you have provided and that uh, the resources that you have provided us here at Lakeview Church to help come alongside this ministry and be a part of it in Africa. And Father, we pray for our team. We pray for your provision. We pray for safety as we travel both ways and while we are there. We pray for our health, Lord. We pray even leading up to the time, four more days, that we would stay healthy and that we would uh, have good health while we're there and while we're traveling. Lord, we also pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us um, in truth as we use your word to teach the women how much you love them. And we pray that they would hear and believe and believe in you. And we also pray, Lord, for the men as Tom and I teach them the same message of how you love women, that their hearts and their attitudes would change. Lord, we thank you for this trip, this awesome opportunity to serve you. And we look forward to the things that we don't even know about that you've prepared for us, that you've prepared in advance for us to do. And we just give thanks to you, Jesus. It's your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jim. We're going to close our service by having uh, Joe, our Kids Discipleship Director, come up and lead us in a prayer of thanks for God's provision in our lives. Please join me in this prayer of thanks to Yahweh Yireh. Lord, thank you for the provision in my life. Not only my daily needs, but through your infinite grace, your blessings never cease. Lord, forgive us because sometimes we live as though your grace is cheap. Thank you for being a provider who granted us salvation through a promise made generations ago. The obedience of one man brought forth a generation of people set aside to make way for your kingdom to come again on earth. You asked Abraham to do what to us feels like an impossible request. You knew the pain and sacrifice it would take because one day you would do the same and provide another sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, your own son, to save us. We now enjoy the blessing of getting to be in a daily relationship with you. 
It's humbling to know that generations of obedience granted this to us. Thank you for these big and mighty plans and for loving us this much. Help us have a faith like Abraham to live in obedience so you can use us to continue to bless the kingdom, to bring the good news to this place. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Go this week in remembrance of this provision. Live in obedience so God can continue to use us to bring the gospel to this place and to stone. I know he will do awesome things for his kingdom through us. Have a good week.